Our reading tonight is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 25. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pichon. It winds through the entire land of the villa where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, this morning, um, just uh, uh, as one of the illustrations, I I mentioned uh, a lady called Gladys Aylward. Is that name familiar to you? This is amazing. I mean, I'd heard of Gladys Aylward, but but I really didn't know that she was quite so well known. And uh, somebody told me just before the evening service, Esther, that you actually heard her speak. Come on and and tell us about that. Did anybody else hear, hear Gladys Elwood speak? You're the only one, so come on, Esther. We want to hear about this. 
No, no, you don't need to tell us. But this was just an illustration. Um, when I was um, in Jerusalem uh, in St. George's uh, Pilgrim House, uh, they, had some, um, they had some books there, and I picked up Sir Ralph Fiennes' yes. book called My Heroes. And, and Ralph Fiennes is, is regarded as the most intrepid uh, explorer of this generation. And I was just fascinated to see that one of his heroes was this small tiny, woman. Tiny, was she? Tiny. Tell us, uh, tell us uh, why, why was she here and where did you hear I her? I heard her in McQuiston when I was a child. Now, I wasn't very old at the time, but she came one Saturday evening and the place was packed. And um, she was so tiny, but she was all dressed in black and a long black dress, like a Chinese lady, and uh, you know, a long jacket with a mandarin collar. Okay. And uh, she was fascinating, really. And she and spoke evangelistically? She spoke evangelistically, she did. And yes. do you know anybody who came yes, to Yes, David Buchanan. Tell us about but David I Buchanan. I didn't know that uh, until, I mean, I didn't know David when I was a child, but years later, Maureen and I were chatting one day, and I had said to her about seeing Gladys Aylward, and she said, well, do you know Esther? That was the evening that David came to the Lord, because he was there. Uh -huh. well, and there after she had spoken, he accepted Jesus as his saviour. Wonderful. Good. Lovely. Esther, thank you. That's great. Um, but it's just a reminder to me what, what an impact somebody who has just given their heart and their life to the Lord Jesus, the impact that they can have, not only in places like China, but here in this part of the world, and, and the influence lives on here in this community. So thank you for sharing that. Good. I've got a book um, tonight. It's called True Friendship, and it's by Vaughan Roberts. Just as I was coming down in the car tonight, I was listening to uh, Radio Ulster, and there was a song, I think they said it was by Jack White. Don't you mind people gurning in your face? <laughs> it's a song called Good Friendships Are Hard to Find. And... Uh, and uh, this is a book about friendship. Vaughan Roberts is the minister of St. Ebb's Church in Oxford, um, where my daughter Rebecca and her husband Chris, they worship. Vaughan Roberts is, uh, uh, in his own words, same-sex attracted, who has submitted his sexuality to the lordship of Christ, and he speaks really well. And uh, he says he's written this book out of the Bible to challenge us to consider our need for true friendship. He's both honest and clear in his approach as he shows that knowing and being known by God is the hope we need to begin to deal with the sickness of our self-love society. So it's written with real insight. Who would like to read that? Okay, here's one over here. And you know the uh, process, Heather, once you've read it, if you could be good enough to pass that on to somebody else. That's brilliant. Okay, we're going to look at uh, Genesis chapter 2 tonight. So if it is uh, uh, easy for you to turn to the passage that Rosie read to us a little later on, that will be great. Our gracious Lord, um, friendship is so critical. It's so vital. Uh, and we bless you for the church community and uh, it is our prayer, Heavenly Father, that within this place, uh, people will be able to find real connection with you, the living Lord, and with one another within whom the same Holy Spirit who dwelt within Christ Jesus dwells. 
So our Heavenly Father, please grant us uh, just a sense of your presence and your enabling power as we turn to your word this evening. In Jesus' name. Amen. On uh, Friday morning, this past Friday morning, while I was waiting in the green room at the BBC, uh, between 6.55 and 75, 7.55 is thought for the day slots, the assistant kindly brought me in a BBC cup of tea and a wad of newspapers. He asked me what newspaper I wanted to, to read, and I said, I don't mind. And so he brought me uh, The Sun and uh, <laughs> The Guardian. Now, I don't ordinarily read The Guardian. Uh, but this, this gave me opportunity uh, to do so. And interestingly enough, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> interestingly enough, it included an editorial responding to a report by Tear Fund. Uh, maybe you saw uh, this report recently published that uh, indicates that over half of the population of the United Kingdom pray on a regular basis, just out uh, this last week. And uh, the editor noted that prayer and its results cannot be verified empirically. Uh, but this is what the editor wrote. This is his opinion. The bleak universe that science appears to reveal, initially random and ultimately purposeless, is not one that anyone can feel at home in. Most people do want to feel at home and need a heart. So the Guardian is honest enough to acknowledge that a chance or a random universe is ultimately unlivable in. But what we've been studying these past couple of weeks here in Genesis 1 and now in chapter 2 is a very different narrative than one with no heart. Together we've seen that while initially there was indeed chaos, God brought about order out of disorder and purpose out of purposelessness. And here in these early chapters of Genesis, we're given an alternative frame of reference, a different worldview that makes sense of this universe and coherence out of our existence. The good news of Genesis 1 through to 11 is that we didn't just come about as the result of a random explosion or a chance happening, but that God purposed and planned us. He wanted us, chose us, made us with a living soul. And in due time, his son, the Lord Jesus, came so that we could, yes, pray, enjoy a relationship with God, and enjoy a relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and thus be fully human, fully alive. And the narrative we read, and what we will be looking at more specifically this evening, is that we were created purposefully and relationally. So while in Genesis 1, in days 1 through to 5, God spoke and things came into being. In day 6, chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed man and woman and said to them, 
be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, while in days one through to five, God simply spoke to things and things happened, in day six, God specifically spoke to individuals. He spoke with people. He wasn't simply talking to things, but he was talking with. Uh, so there's relationship there. Do you see? Uh, interestingly enough, um, one preacher clearly irritated at the stereotype image of God being anti-sex said about verse 28, significantly, the very first thing that God commanded Adam and Eve to do is to make babies, be fruitful and increase in numbers. There we go. So as we turn from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2, it's interesting to see that we have what is really a second or a parallel account of creation. Glance down at Genesis 1 verse 1, and you see that it's about the creation of the heavens and the earth. Yes? Now look at Genesis 2 verse 4, and it is the creation of what? The earth and the heavens. So it's the opposite way round. In other words, if Genesis 1 is the vision from up above, Genesis 2 is the vision from below. If Genesis 1 is the perspective from the divine throne, Genesis 2 is the perspective from here on the ground. So, uh, in chapter 2, God is represented in ways that we as humans can fully understand. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 7, God is likened to a potter. And verse 8, he is like a gardener. Verse 19, a farmer looking after the livestock. Uh, verse 21, I suppose he's an anaesthetist. And verse 22, a plastic surgeon. So here, the Lord God, who said in chapter 1, verse 26, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, uh, this God who is clearly a relational being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, made humankind in His image with the capacity also for relationships. Now, that's very, very key. God made us relational beings because He Himself is relational. He always has been relational within Himself from time immemorial. And so it's these relationships that we want to think about a wee bit more detail tonight. Uh, so man, that's Adam, has been created by God for a fourfold relational harmony. And these relationships are found in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 8, we see the relational harmony that he is supposed to have with the earth. Then verse 18 the relational harmony is supposed to have with other people. Uh, chapter 2, verse 25, the relationship he is meant to have with himself. And then finally, we're going to look at chapter 2, verse 7, and the relationship uh, that Adam is to have with God. 
So four hugely significant relationships. And so first of all, God created Adam in such a way that he would have a close and inextricable relationship with the earth. We've already noted that Adam is both dust because his name means of the earth. He's part of the created environment. And yet he's also separate from and uniquely different from any other part of God's creation. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, verse 7. I suppose that Adam would always have his feet firmly on the ground. But he also breathed into his nostrils the breath of life so that Adam would also assume a heavenly responsibility of looking after the earth. And do you see the environment God created for man? It was a wonderful place with all kinds of trees, trees that were pleasing to the eye, verse 9, and good for food. In other words, it was just paradise. And God created a world with beautiful rivers, verse 10, and with valuable natural resources, verse 12. It was a world within which Adam was invited to do a godlike thing, verse 15, and that is to work. He was to work in and care for uh, the world. And so it really is, I think, interesting for us to see that work uh, was never designed as a chore. Uh, And that's why people actually need to work to, to find fulfillment because it was, it was created as a good thing. This is before it became a, a sweat-on-the-brow experience. It was originally a delight. And God created a world with all kinds of beasts and birds, so spectacular that David Attenborough would simply want to spend a lifetime filming and sharing with an amazed and astonished uh, audience what it is like. So, Adam was created in such a way that he would have a close and inextricable relationship with the earth. And how man chooses to exercise that God-given responsibility of looking after the trees and the plants and the rivers and the seas and the natural resources and the animals and the birds will, of course, have far-reaching consequences, either for good or for ill. So that's the first thing. God created Adam to have a close relationship with this world, with planet Earth. And then secondly, Adam was created by God in order to enjoy relational harmony with other human beings. Verse 20 tells us that while Adam enjoyed living in a zoo environment or to be more accurate, in a natural game reserve. Yet, pets weren't enough. Many people enjoy their cats and their dogs, including myself, and that's good, and pets can be a delight. But you see that they were insufficient for man. Um, Throughout chapter 1, we're told that everything God made was good. 
Now look at chapter 2, verse 18. For the very first time, we're told that something is not good. Now, what is it? It's not good that man should be alone. So God said, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, that word uh, for helper is ezer, E-Z-E-R. Do you remember when in 1 Samuel 7, the Israelites gained a significant victory over the Philistines? The prophet Samuel raised a stone there, which he called Ebenezer. That means stone of help. Now, at the idea that a woman is a helper to a man, some feminists bristle and say, well, there you go, a woman made to be man's helper. Hmm. But that's to misunderstand. Uh, I wonder if I can illustrate it by taking you to Psalm 115 as an example. Psalm 115 verses 9 through to 11. That's page 615. Psalm 115, verse 9. O house of Israel, verse 9, 115. Trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. So that word for help is easer. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their helper. He is their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord, for he is their easer and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord, for he is their help and shield. So it's the very same word for helper uh, in Psalm 115 that we have in Genesis 2.18. Now, we would never say that God was in any sense subservient to human beings, would we? And for the same reason, we should not read that into Genesis 2.18 either. Strong partner seems to be the best interpretation. So, here is someone that, that Adam needs. He needs. It's not good that he's alone. Here is someone who is like the man because she is of the same substance as Adam, and yet somehow she's different from the man because without her unique differences, it is not good. Uh, St. Augustine once observed that God could have taken flesh out of the man in order to make the woman but instead he chose to take bone. That is the strongest part of his being. Matthew Henry much later on put it this way, a woman was made out of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon him, but out of his side to be equal with him under his arm to be protected by him and near his heart to be beloved. Isn't that good? Now, does that then mean that a man 
has to be married in order to be fully human. Uh, after all, we go on to see that uh, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, verse 24, and they will become one flesh. Well, it cannot mean that. And will I tell you why? Because the Lord Jesus, who is the most complete, the most fully human man who ever existed, was single. But what it is saying is that within community, within society, within fellowship together, men need women in order for them to be complete, in order for there to be a wholeness, in order for there to be partnership. And I suppose in converse, we could say that women in turn need men around them too for there to be wholesome relational harmony. Ask any woman in an all-female office if that is not the case. So God created Adam in such a way that he would have a close and inextricable relationship with the earth and in order that he may enjoy relational harmony with other people. And then thirdly, Adam was created in order to enjoy relational harmony with himself, verse 25. A man and his wife, uh, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, what's that all about? Well, what I think this is saying is that Adam was created in order to be at ease with himself. Adam was made in order to be unself-conscious, to be himself without having to cover up, without pretending to be something that he wasn't. In other words, man was designed without a mask. Now, there's a program on television which I've been introduced to by my younger daughter, Ruth, called Beauty Queen and Single. Have any of you seen it? Nobody is admitting to it. You all have, but none of you are saying. All right, beauty queen and single. And in this program, women undergo a make-under before going on a date in order to see uh, how the viewing audience can see how the couple get on without looks getting in the way. And it's very revealing. Now, most of us, all of us, in fact, to a greater or lesser extent, wear masks, don't we? Whether it is hiding behind our choice of clothes or haircut, Prince William, or glasses or foundation cream or eyelashes or perfumes. But here you see the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. They had no reason to pretend to be something other than they were. They had no reason to hide. You could say God created Adam in order to be comfortable in his own skin. So that's the fourth relationship, harmony with himself. That was God's intention. And the fourth relational harmony that Adam was created for was with God, chapter 2, verse 7. 
the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, can you get a more intimate illustration than this? Can you imagine a potter taking a jar that he's just formed and bringing it up to his lips and breathing his own life into it in order to make it live? That's how close, that's how intimate God's relationship with man was designed to be, as close as a kiss. And this is shalom, this is completeness, this is relational harmony, God with humankind. In the garden, Adam was designed to walk with his creator, to talk in the garden, to enjoy perfect companionship. So here in Genesis 2, we can see how Adam was created by God for this fourfold relational harmony with the earth, with other people, with himself, and with God. And that might be just the most perfect place to conclude except for the fact that you know and I know that that's not how things worked out. There was the matter of the one command that's mentioned in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, and Drew will touch on that in a couple of weeks' time. And there is the matter of the fall, which is mentioned in chapter 3, that Bill will pick up on on the 11th of February. So I don't want either to steal into their thunder or stray onto their territory, except to say the original harmony which Adam was designed to enjoy in all of these four areas uh, has gone badly wrong, hasn't it? Human relationship with planet Earth. Human relationships with other people. relationships with ourselves, with our bodies, our relationship with God. I really don't need to go into the inconvenient truths about our environment and its decay, the exploitation of our natural world and resulting traumas and convulsions. Planet Earth is not the way it was designed to be, and we are at fault. And relationally, problems between people groups among colors and races and ethnicities, between cultures and genders and sexes, instead of relational harmony, there is struggle between men and women. There's confusion over gender and sexuality. There is huge difficulty and pain in family and marital breakdown. And instead of ease with ourselves, there is huge dis-ease. Anything but contentment over who I am and who I present myself to be. And instead of walking with God, there is a hiding from God. There is even a denial in some places that there is a God. 
How perverse. But these are the outworkings of what the Bible calls sin, rebellion. Or what Romans chapter 1 terms the suppression of truth. Let me read to you Romans 1 verse 29. Men have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, malice, deceit. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, folk. Um, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but actually approve of those who practice them. So that's the very stark reality of our world. That's where planet Earth is right now. That actually is the way it has always been since the earliest days of humankind, relationships that are totally out of sorts. So where does that leave us? And the answer is in a state of brokenness and fragility and vulnerability. Every single one of us here is broken in some shape or form. In a broken environment, we're broken relationally, sexually, emotionally, and spiritually. There's not one of us here who's got it together in all of those areas. And that would be terrible if it were not for the fact that in Genesis 3, Genesis 3 verse 15, we have something that is called by some the proto-gospel, the first glimpse of the good news that is yet to come in the midst of the trauma that is experienced here. Uh, maybe I should put it another way because the Apostle Paul explains it differently in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, where Adam failed... Someone else called the last Adam triumphed. Where Adam, the first man, brought sin into the world, destroying a multiplicity of relationships, Christ, the second man, overcame sin through dying the death that we deserved and rising again so that we might be made complete. Now, we don't have time to do that as a second study tonight, but 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22 following, shows the process of recreation is incremental. It doesn't happen all at once, each in its own turn, as it says in verse 23. And that's why for those who place their hope and their trust in Christ Jesus, that is the start of an amazing process of recreation. When, when we as broken human beings, in all our fragility and all our vulnerability, 
place our trust in the last Adam, the Lord Jesus, then a miracle begins within our hearts, within our lives, that will be brought to completion when Christ returns to restore all things and create a new heaven and a new earth. So let's be encouraged, but we also need to be patient. This world is in a mess. We are in a mess. But when we trust our lives to the perfect man, then that process of change has begun. It's the start of our fourfold relational harmony becoming complete in the new heaven and the new earth. Happy days. Our gracious Lord, you know our hearts and you know our lives. You're all too aware of our brokenness and fragilities, our vulnerabilities. But our Heavenly Father, in our weakness, we thank you for Jesus, the perfect man. May we give all that we are, all that we have to him. And may we allow him to begin and to continue the process of recreation so that with the Holy Spirit's life and energy within our beings, we may look to the day when all things will be made whole. Hear our prayers, gracious Lord, because they're offered in the name and for the sake of the second Adam, Christ our Lord. grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.